Welcome to Finnerin's Wake. Fyodor Dostoevsky, Leo Tolstoy, Alexander Pushkin. If asked to rank, in order of brilliance, the three greatest authors to whom Mother Russia has given birth, the three literary sons into whom that vast and fertile state has breathed such copious life. One would be apt to respond with the aforesaid. Dostoevsky, darkly psychological and unfathomably deep, would be awarded the preeminent place. Tolstoy, insulted by the somewhat arbitrary decision, would remain very close on the epileptic's heels. Pushkin, eldest of the three, would stand back from that dread fight now embroiling the summit, that very pinnacle from which he's not so very far away. Conscious of his shortcomings, he'd simply honor the company among whom he is and forevermore will be counted and relish the view. Such, I think, is the disposition of a poet. As for the novelists, it's their penchant to strike. If, however, we were to extend our list to permit the inclusion of one more writer, space would be made for Ivan Turgenev. If only on its slightly less exalted second tier, Turgenev would be granted admission to this Russian pantheon, to this lofty, thin abode suspended in the clouds, about which, on the wings of genius, the spirit of this remarkable nation whirls. Born in the year 1818, Turgenev absorbed all of the excitement and tumult of his age. He experienced the diminution of the king and the liberation of the serfs. Peace in his time was an exception, never a rule. The Crimean War was a seminal event. He followed it with nervous attention and wished for an outcome clement to each side. He viewed the later Franco-Prussian War with similar ambivalence. 
Some in the country of his birth might have suspected his sympathies to have strayed. He was, after all, an inveterate lover of all things German, British, and French, including the enchanting Parisian vocalist Pauline Viardot. Despite the uncertainty of his allegiance, however, he sensed in these wars an unraveling of sorts. He felt the disruption of a continent with which, as a Russian, he hoped only to build stronger bonds of friendship. To his bones, he felt the warmth of European culture and basked in the intoxication of the West, while being simultaneously chilled by Russian tradition's sobering touch. In truth, he stood astride two epics and two worlds, one old and aristocratic, the other progressive and new. Between them, joined in the danger of a combustible union, were two volatile fumes, that of liberalism and that of nihilism. The former was the great success of the Enlightenment, that resounding shift of the intellect by which all prior thought was happily unsettled. And oh, how Turgenev rejoiced in the disturbance by which his feet were daily tickled. As for nihilism, he sensed the development of this idea more acutely than most. Nietzsche, of course, had noticed it, but at a slightly later date. It was Turgenev who gave this despondent, waxing philosophical notion its unforgettable name. It went with the hero Bazarov. We were introduced to this disquieting figure in Turgenev's best-known work, Fathers and Sons, or, in the original Russian, Fathers and Children. It was published in 1862, and it enjoys, still to this day, the distinction of being among that century's immortal works. Hero, of course, might not be the most suitable term, for there is very little in this university graduate deserving of emulation. Anti-hero, if forced to choose a replacement, would doubtless be more apt. 
he, along with the charming but impressionable Arcady, is representative of the younger generation for which Russia was, at this time, grudgingly beginning to make room. He's the symbol of a group of young, melancholic radicals, fresh onto the scene, into whom the fangs of nihilism have already sunk their poisonous teeth. Paralysis would be next. Opposite these two are the fathers, Pavel and Nikolai Petrovich. The former, like Bazarov, is an egoist. The latter, like his son, a moralist. The difference is that these elder two gentlemen are just that. Gentlemen. At least they are in the classical sense. They still believe in the niceties of aristocratic behavior, the goals of the Enlightenment, and the inherent meaning of life. Bazarov, ever prone to profanation, says that he only looks to heaven when he wants to sneeze. For this, he must be pitied. It's the confession of a man numb to the aesthetic and contemptuous of the divine. The rest, as we learn, harbor a deeper affinity for the sky, a more serious respect for the heavens, up to which they look, if not with faith, then at least with awe. And with that, I'll read to you an excerpt from Ivan Turgenev's masterpiece, Fathers and Sons. The next morning, Bazarov awoke earlier than everyone else and went out of the house. Hey, he thought, looking round him. This quaint little place ain't up to much. When Nikolai Petrovich had redrawn his boundaries with his peasants, he had been obliged to reallocate to his new house about ten or so acres of completely flat and featureless land. He had built a house, outhouses, and a farm, 
laid out a garden and excavated a pond and two wells. But the young saplings hadn't taken well. Very little water had accumulated in the pond, and the wells yielded water that tasted salty. Only a small arbor of lilacs and acacias had grown up satisfactorily. Sometimes that was where they had tea or a meal. In a matter of minutes, Bazarov had gone round all the paths in the garden and visited the cattle sheds and stables and come across two small local boys with whom he had at once made friends and set off with them to a small area of marshland about a mile from the house to look for frogs. What sir want frogs for, sir? asked one of the boys. It's like this, see, said Bazarov, who had a special flair for eliciting the trust of the lower orders, although he never indulged them and treated them rudely. I dissect the frog and have a look at what's going on inside it. Because you and I are just like frogs, except we walk about on legs. I'll be able to find out what's going on inside us as well. What you want to know that for? so as not to make a mistake if you fall ill, and I've got to cure you. Is you a doctor? Yes. Vaska, did you hear what the man said? He said you and me's like frogs. It's crazy. They're scary, them frogs are remarked Vaska, a boy of about seven with fair hair, pale as flax, and a gray smock with a stand-up collar and bare feet. What's scary about them? They don't bite, do they? Well, you philosophers, into the water with you, said Bazarov. Meanwhile, Nikolai Petrovich also woke up and went in search of Arkady, whom he found already dressed. Father and son went out on. To the terrace under the marquee awning. Beside the railings, on a table, surrounded by large sprays of lilac, the samovar was already bubbling. A little girl appeared, the same one who had met them on their arrival the previous day, 
and said in a small voice, Fedosia Nikolavna is not quite well and can't come. She told me to ask, Will you do the tea yourselves, or shall we send for Dunyasha? I'll do the pouring myself, Nikolai Petrovich said hurriedly. Arkady, how do you have your tea? With cream or with lemon? With cream, Arkady answered, and, after a short silence, inquired, Dad? Nikolai Petrovich glanced at his son in confusion. What? he asked. Arkady lowered his eyes. Give me, Dad, if my question seems out of place, he began. But you yourself, with the frankness you showed yesterday, make me want to be frank. You won't be annoyed, will you? Go on. You give me the courage to ask you, doesn't Fen... Is it because I'm here that she's not coming to the tea? Nikolai Petrovich turned away slightly. Perhaps, he said at last, it's because she assumes... Because she's ashamed... Arkady cast a rapid glance towards his father. She's got nothing to be ashamed about. In the first place, you are familiar with my way of thinking. It was very pleasant for Arkady to pronounce these words. In the second place, would I ever want to put any constraints on your life and your way of doing things in the very least? Besides, I'm sure you couldn't make a bad choice. If you've permitted her to live with you under the same roof, it means she deserves to. In any case, a son should never be a judge of his father. Especially I, of such a father as you, who've never, in any way, put any constraints on my freedom. Arkady's voice was unsure when he began speaking. He felt he was being magnanimous, though at the same time he realized he was reading his father a kind of lecture. But the sound of one's own speech always has a strong effect on a person, and Arkady pronounced his final words firmly, even with a certain rhetorical effect. Thank you, Arkady, Nikolai Petrovich started saying in a hollow voice. And again his fingers began running over his eyebrows and temples. 
your assumptions are well and truly just. Of course, if this girl hadn't merited, it's not a fanciful whim of mine. I'm embarrassed to talk about it with you. But you understand that it was hard for her to come here while you're here, particularly on the first day after your arrival. In that case, I'll go to her, exclaimed Arkady, with a new access of magnanimous feeling, and jumped up from his chair. I'll make it clear to her that she's no need to be ashamed in my presence. Nikolai Petrovich also got to his feet. Arkady, he began, please don't. How's it going to be? There, I haven't given you any idea. But Arkady wasn't listening to him anymore and ran from the terrace. Nikolai Petrovich followed him with his eyes and dropped back into his chair in confusion. His heart was beating rapidly. It would have been hard to say at that instant whether he imagined the unavoidable strangeness of the future relations between him and his son, whether he was aware that Arkady would have shown him even greater respect if he'd never touched on the subject at all or whether he was blaming himself for his own weakness. All such feelings were inside him, but in the form of sensations, and therefore unclear. His face remained red, and his heart beat fast. There was a sound of hurrying footsteps, and Arkady came on to the terrace. Father, we've met, he cried, with a look of rather fond and good-natured triumph on his face. Fedosia Nikolaevna is really not quite well today and will be coming a little later. But why didn't you tell me I had a baby brother? I'd have kissed him last night just as I've kissed him now. Nikolai Petrovich wanted to say something. Wanted to rise and open his arms in an embrace. Arkady flung himself at once on his neck. What's this? Embracing again? resounded the voice of Pavel Petrovich behind them. Father and son were delighted at this appearance at that moment, because there are touching situations from which one is always glad to escape as soon as possible. Are you surprised? asked Nikolai Petrovich happily. I've been waiting for Arkady to return here for such ages. Since yesterday, I've not had a chance to see enough of him. I'm not surprised at all, remarked Pavel Petrovich. I'm not even against embracing him myself. 
Arkady went up to his uncle and again felt the touch of his perfumed whiskers. Pavel Petrovich sat down at the table. He was wearing a stylish morning suit in the English fashion, his head crowned with a small fez. This fez and a loosely tied cravat suggested the free and easy ways of life in the country. But the tight little collar of his shirt, not a white one, true, but multicolored, as befits morning dress, bit as unmercifully as ever into his well-shaved chin. Where is your new friend? he asked Arkady. He's not here. He usually gets up early and goes off somewhere. The chief thing is not to bother about him. He doesn't like standing on ceremony. Yes, I've noticed that, Pavel Petrovich began. Without hurry, to spread butter on bread. Will he be staying with us long? It depends. He's dropped in here on his way back to his father. Where does his father live? In our province, about sixty miles from here. He's got a small estate there. He was previously a regimental doctor. Yes, 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 yes. I've been all the while asking myself where I've heard the name Bazarov before. Nikolai, do you remember that father's division had a doctor called Bazarov? Yes, it seems there was. Exactly, exactly. So that doctor's his father. Hmm. Pavel Petrovich waggled his mustache. Well, this gentleman, this Bazarov, is what, precisely? What is Bazarov? Arkady grinned. Do you want me, uncle, to tell you precisely what he is? Please be good enough, nephew. He is a nihilist. What? asked Nikolai Petrovich, while Pavel Petrovich raised his knife in the air with a piece of butter on the end of the blade and remained motionless. He is a nihilist, repeated Arkady. A nihilist? said Nikolai Petrovich. That's from the Latin nihil. Nothing, so far as I can judge. Therefore, the word denotes a man who... who doesn't recognize anything. Say, rather, who doesn't respect anything, added Pavel Petrovich and once more busied himself with the butter. Who approaches everything from a critical point of view, remarked Arkady. 
Isn't that the same thing? No, no, it's not the same thing. A nihilist is a man who doesn't acknowledge any authorities, who doesn't accept a single principle on faith, no matter how much that principle may be surrounded by respect. And that's a good thing, is it? interjected Pavel Petrovich. It depends on who you are, uncle. It's a good thing for one man, and a bad thing for another. Is that so? Well, I can see it's not for us. We, men of another age, we suppose that without principes, Pavel Petrovich pronounced the word softly, the French way, while Arkady, by contrast, pronounced it principles, with the accent falling hard on the first syllable. Without principes accepted, as you put it, on faith we can't take a single step, we can't even breathe. So God grant you good health and the rank of general, and we'll all admire you from afar, you gentlemen. What do you call yourselves? Nihilists, Arkady pronounced clearly. Yes. Previously there used to be Hegelians. Now there are nihilists. Let's wait and see how you get on in a vacuum, in airless space. Now please, brother, Nikolai Petrovich, ring the bell. It's time I had my cocoa. Nikolai Petrovich rang and shouted, Dunyasha! But instead of Dunyasha, it was Finechka who appeared on the terrace. She was a young woman of about twenty-three, a fair and soft complexion, with dark hair and eyes and bright red, childishly full lips and tender, delicate hands. She wore a neat cotton print dress. A light blue scarf covered her sloping shoulders. She was carrying a large cup of cocoa, and, having set it down in front of Pavel Petrovich, blushed scarlet, the hot blood spreading in a crimson wave under the delicate skin of her pretty face. She lowered her eyes and stopped beside the table, leaning slightly on the very tips of her fingers. She appeared chastened at having come, and at the same time she showed she felt that she had a right to be there. Pavel Petrovich frowned sternly, and Nikolai Petrovich was covered in embarrassment. Hello, Fenechka, he said through his teeth. Hello, sir, she answered in a quiet but resonant voice. And, with a sideways glance at Arkady, who gave her a friendly smile, 
she quietly left them. She had a slight waddle in her walk, but it suited her. Silence reigned for several moments on the terrace. Pavel Petrovich sipped at his cocoa and suddenly raised his head. Here's our nihilist gentleman coming to pay his respects, he said under his breath. And indeed, Bazarov was coming through the garden, stepping across the flower beds. His linen coat and trousers were spattered with mud, and a clinging marsh plant wound its way around the crown of his old round hat. In his right hand, he was holding a small bag. The bag had something alive inside it. He came rapidly up to the terrace, and with a nod of the head, he said, Hello, gentlemen. Forgive me that I'm late for tea, but I'll be back in a moment. I've got to see to these little captives of mine. What have you got there? Leeches? asked Pavel Petrovich. No. Frogs. Are you going to eat them or breed them? They're for experiments, Bazarov said indifferently and went into the house. He'll start cutting them up, remarked Pavel Petrovich. He doesn't believe in principles, but he believes in frogs. Arkady gave his uncle a look of pity, and Nikolai Petrovich gave a covert shrug of the shoulder. Pavel Petrovich himself felt he'd made a bad joke and started talking about the estate and the new bailiff who'd come to him to complain the day before that a worker called Foma was lebouching himself, and it got out of hand. He's a right old Aesop, he said, among other things. He's everywhere making himself out to be a no good, so he'll stay around here a bit, and then when something silly happens, he'll be off. Bazarov returned, sat down at the table, and started to gulp down his tea. Both brothers watched in silence, while Arkady looked covertly first at his father, then at his uncle. Did you have a long walk? Nikolai Petrovich asked at last. You've got a bit of marshland there, by a grove of aspens. That's where I started up a half a dozen snipe. You can go and kill them, Arkady. You're not a hunter yourself. No. You personally occupy yourself with physics, asked Pavel Petrovich in his turn.
With physics, yes. With the natural sciences in general. They say the Teutons have been very successful recently in that sort of thing. Yes, yes. The Germans are our teachers, Bazarov answered casually. Pavel Petrovich had used the word Teutons rather than Germans for the sake of an irony which, however, no one seemed to have noticed. You have a pretty high opinion of the Germans, do you? said Pavel Petrovich, with studied courtesy. He was beginning to feel a secret annoyance. Bazarov's completely free and easy manner upset his aristocratic nature. This apothecary's son not only didn't know his place, he even responded to questions curtly and unwillingly, and there was something vulgar, even rude, in the sound of his voice. The experts over there know their stuff. I see. So you no doubt don't have such a flattering opinion of Russian experts. Could be. That's very praiseworthy self-effacement, declared Pavel Petrovich, straightening his back and throwing back his head. But wasn't Arkady Nikolaitch telling us only a moment ago that you don't recognize any authorities, that you don't believe in them. And why should I? What should I believe in? They tell me what it's all about. I agree. And that's all there is to it. So the Germans tell you what it's all about, declared Pavel Petrovich, and his face acquired such an impartial, distant look. It was as if he'd gone off into some heights beyond the clouds. Not all of them, was the yawning reply from Bazarov, who clearly had no wish to continue this conversation. Pavel Petrovich glanced at Arkady as if wanting him to say, Nice and polite, your friend, isn't he? So far as I am concerned, he began again, not without a certain effort. Sinner that I am. I don't have much sympathy with the Germans. I'm not thinking about the Russian Germans. We all know what sort of bird they are. But I can't even stomach German Germans. The ones in the past were passable. Then they had, well, Schiller, for example. Oh, and Goethe. My brother's particularly keen on him. But now they only seem to have a lot of chemists and materialists. A good chemist's twenty times more useful than a poet said Bazarov. Is that so? murmured Pavel Petrovich, and just as if he were on the point of going to sleep, raised his eyebrows slightly. So you don't recognize art? Is that it? 
The art of making money, or no more hemorrhoids, exclaimed Bazarov, with a contemptuous grin. Really, sir, really. I see you're one for a joke. Shall we suppose that you dismiss everything in that case? Which means you believe only in science. I've already told you that I don't believe in anything. And what's this thing called science? Science in general. There are sciences as there are trades and vocations. But science in general doesn't exist at all. Very well, sir. As for the other ordinances accepted in day-to-day -day life, you maintain a similar negative attitude, do you? What's this? A cross-examination? asked Bazarov. Pavel Petrovich paled slightly. Nikolai Petrovich considered it time to intervene in the conversation. We'll discuss this subject with you in more detail at a later date, dear Evgeny Vasilich, and we'll hear your views and express our own. For my own part, I'm very glad you're concerning yourself with natural sciences. I've heard that Liebig has made some remarkable discoveries in regard to field fertilization. You can help me in my agronomical work by giving me some useful advice. I'm at your service, Nikolai Petrovich, but Liebig's got nothing to do with us. First of all, you've got to learn the alphabet, and then start on books, but we haven't so much as clapped eyes on the letter A so far. Well, I can see you really are a nihilist, thought Nikolai Petrovich. Still, you'll allow me to come running to you when the occasion arises, he added out loud. But now, brother, I suggest it's time for us to be going off to have a talk with our bailiff. Pavel Petrovich rose from his chair. Yes he declared without looking at anyone. It's a great misfortune to have spent five years or so in the country far removed from great minds. In a flash, you become a perfect fool. You try not to forget what you've been taught, and then, just like that, it turns out everything you've been taught is nonsense, and you're told sensible people don't concern themselves with such rubbish and that you're, so to speak, old hat. What's to be done? Evidently, the young are more intelligent than we are. That's a fact. Pavel Petrovich slowly turned on his heels and slowly walked away. Nikolai Petrovich set on after him. Is he always like that? Pazarov asked Arkady, cold-bloodedly, as soon as the door had closed behind the two brothers. Listen, Evgeny, you were too harsh with him, said Arkady. You offended him. 
as if I'm going to play along with these provincial aristocrats. After all, it's just a matter of their self-esteem. They're acting like society lions. They're being such dandies. Well, he should have kept up his career in St. Petersburg if that's what he likes. Anyhow, to hell with him. I found a fairly rare example of the water beetle. Do you know it? I'll show it to you. I promised I'd tell you his story, Arkady began. The story of the beetle? That's enough, Evgeny. No, my uncle's story. You'll see he's not the sort of man you imagine he is. He deserves pity, rather than derision. I don't doubt. But why are you so bothered about him? One ought to be just, Evgeny. Why should that follow? No. Listen. And Arkady told him his uncle's story. The reader will find it in the next chapter. And with that, to all my friends, and all the fathers to whom I have the great pleasure of speaking, fare thee well, and happy Father's Day.